Hello, literacy leaders and champions. Welcome to Literacy Talks, the podcast series from Reading Horizons, dedicated to exploring the ideas, trends, insights, and practical issues that will help us create literacy momentum. Our series host is Stacy Hurst, professor at Southern Utah University and chief academic officer at Reading Horizons, where reading momentum begins. Joining Stacy are Donnell Pons, a recognized expert in literacy and special education, and Lindsay Kemeny, a Utah-based elementary classroom teacher. Today's topic explores sound walls and their growing value in literacy instruction. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of Literacy Talks. I'm Stacy Hurst, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Lindsay Kemeny and Donnell Pons. And today we are going to be talking about sound walls. So um, we're going to dive right in. This was actually my subject. So I'm going to start with a question for both of you. So we'll just go in alphabetical order by first name. <laughs> To answer the question. So Donnell, starting with you, how would you describe what a sound wall is? Okay, good. Well, I, it's funny you should ask me that because I had pulled out my speech to print by Dr. Louisa Motes, because I, I think that's a fantastic book. And if you're not familiar with this uh, speech to print, which sound walls definitely are, then that's a great book, a great resource. And we'll list it in the notes. We've mentioned it before. And it's a book I would have absolutely purchase. And at the back of the book, of course, uh, speech is mentioned throughout, but at the back of the book, pages 271, 272, Stacy, you and I have already chatted about this. There's some really great background information on sound walls. So if you don't know, you're curious, you've had them explained, you're still a little unclear, this is a fantastic resource. And as always, I credit Dr. Motes for being so clear with information, and she lays it out very, very well. But she's talking about how, why would I substitute a sound wall for a word wall? And so maybe I'm going to lean into what somebody is familiar with to describe what a sound wall is to give some reference points. So probably teachers are very familiar with a word wall. Many of them have used a word wall in order to teach students. You have things that are familiar or similar in spelling that you might put together on a word wall. Students are definitely looking at letters for this. And Dr. Mote says, instead of using a classroom wall to post a list of high frequency words under each letter of the alphabet, as is often done in elementary classrooms, the teacher would create a sound wall for consonants and vowels. So it's, it's very much just that at the heart of it. We're gonna get more complicated obviously, but at the heart of it, that's what we're doing. We're going to lean into those sounds instead. And so a single high-frequency grapheme is introduced for each phoneme. Gradually, other common graphemes, we're talking letters here, what you write, are added as they are learned. So that's at the essence of it, the sound wall. Lindsay, I'm, I'm dying to hear what you've got to add to that. Yeah. So to me, that sound wall is just a reflection of our speech to print instruction. You know, it's where we foster an awareness of those speech sounds. And so to me though, like the wall itself is not the main thing. That's not the main event in the classroom. It's the instruction that goes along with it. And I think that is kind of like where the magic happens <laughs> kind of is, is in our instruction. I love both of those answers. And I'm going to... Um kind of lead with a quote that we've all heard before, at least I think most of us have, by Steven Pinker. And he says, children are wired for sound, 
but print is an optional accessory that must be painstakingly bolted on. And Lindsay, just like you were saying, I see sound walls as a tool to help that happen. And of course, he's talking about what needs to happen in the brain for proficient reading, which goes back to what Donnell was talking about, the importance of focusing on those phonemes and that speech to print connection, which, you know, not to get into the history of anything, but reading is a relatively new technology and we we speak before we read. That's just developmentally how we are as humans. And Donnell, you mentioned a sound wall versus a word wall. And I have talked about this before on this podcast, but um, I was really good at the word wall, guys. I was really good at that. And I, um, too bad this isn't a visual format, but I really had a lot of space for a word wall and I embraced it. I really did the word wall thing. That tool was not as useful for helping my students learn how to read, um, but sound walls are. So Lindsay, have, did you have a word wall? I did, yeah. And you can see, you know, as you use it, you can kind of see the the problems with it, right? You have a brand new, maybe little kindergartner who wants to spell the word the and looks up at the word wall to help them. And how are they going to know to look under the letter T? I mean, they're not unless they already have learned that TH spells the. And if they already know that, they probably don't need the word wall you know, in the first place. So you can kind of see it comes from the word wall comes more from a teacher perspective than a learner perspective. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Donnell, you were shaking your head. Yeah, I was just going to remark that I I work with adults, right? I work with older students. That's mainly what I do all day long. And it's interesting because the majority, I'm going to say all, because I haven't really ever met anyone who was ever introduced to reading and spelling through sounds at all all of my students have been introduced by looking at letters and trying to make sense of the letters. And I liken it to learning to swim in many ways. And that is you have the same elements, water that someone and and yourself, and you're supposed to work with this water in order to learn to swim. But if you have not been taught the basic elements of what it is you're doing with the water and the strokes, then you can be in the water and flounder hopelessly. You're in the same element and someone else next to you who has been taught what the element is and what they're supposed to do in the element with the element. And they make this look like you were born to be in there. And how can this be that we're both have the same body? We're both in this element of water and it looks so vastly different. And that's what oftentimes I think in my mind, once an adult student, we start getting from the sound perspective introduced, suddenly they look like a swimmer. (laughs) And before they were absolutely drowning in sounds. And it's interesting. They know what to do with them for the first time. Yeah, I think that's important as well in the way that we instruct using a sound wall. And and we'll get into that next. When we were talking about the difference between talking about something and actually experiencing it in the way that we learn it, we know that one really important part of instruction is to present it in a way that our students can file it cognitively in their long-term memory and access it when needed. So we don't just have a sound wall. We interact with it. Um, It can be said that it's, I like the term multimodal, but most of us have probably heard multi-sensory. So when I mentioned that sound walls are multimodal, Lindsay, how do you respond to that? 
in what ways do we involve our students in that instruction? Oh, a lot of different ways. When you're talking, it reminds me like anyone could throw a poster up on the wall, right? And But there's so much more to a sound wall than that. And the more you use it and interact with it, the more your students will. But when I think of that multimodal, it's kind of uh, reminding me of how we are drawing students' attention to the articulatory gestures that we make when we produce those phonemes. So we're saying, you know, what's what's your mouth doing? What is your tongue doing? What are your lips doing? And we don't have to get super technical, right? But we're just drawing that awareness to the phoneme. And there is research um, where they show that instruction and phonemic awareness that includes the articulatory features, that's especially effective in facilitating word reading processes. And I have um, both of the studies, there's one in from 2009, one from 2011 by Linnea Airy and some others that, that talk about that. So that's what I like to do is kind of, let's talk about what our mouth is doing and then let's connect it to the letter because the sound wall is not just about sound. It's also, you know, there's no point in having to me a poster with just like, you know, pictures of your mouth. You've got to also connect it to the letter. It's a sound spelling wall. Yeah, that's a great point because that is the whole point, right? We don't want to teach it in isolation by any means. Donnell, again, vigorous nodding. <laughs> what do you have to add to that? I'm going to stop nodding. So <laughs> no, it's good. You get called out. You get called I out. I love it. I do. I get called you out. You can just see the wheels in your brain turning. And so I just want to peek inside of what's happening inside your brain. You know, I'm going to add to, you know, Lindsay, what you were saying about making sure you're connecting it to those graphemes. Remember when I talked about working with adult students, they have all of that, right? With younger ones, you might have a little more leeway with how much introduction to the grapheme, the letter that they have and that they know you're going to be doing a lot of introduction that way. But I am definitely working with someone who already has all of that. They just haven't known what to do with it in many ways. It's been all the jumbled up and confused. And so I, I can see very clearly that the sound all by itself without connecting, you know, definitely and, and immediately to the grapheme isn't useful for those individuals, right? And I have to move more quickly too, I would say as well with adults, because they're being asked to do tasks that are, are very high level every day in their job, in school. And so I don't have the luxury of, of waiting and delaying to introduce different concepts, right? They do come together very quickly and systematically together. And do you know, that's what I was thinking uh, when, as Lindsay was talking as well, using sound walls is just an efficient way to teach the organization of our speech sounds. And once you have those 44 sounds organized in a manner that are easy to digest and get into long-term memory, it makes attaching those over 250 spellings or graphemes for those sounds so much easier. I think about the way I used to teach phonics <laughs> before I really digested the National Reading Panel research, and it was pretty haphazard. And no wonder that my students, I felt like I was repeating myself over and over and over because there was no systematic nature to it. So that is an important element when we're talking about teaching sound walls in our classroom. And Stacey, I might add, I, you know, just thinking again, I've had some real connections watching my, my children learn how to swim because it's just a lot of connections to learning that you watch very quickly. But I don't know anyone who, when they are placed in water, just sits there with their arms and legs really tight and straight. Your instinct is to move them. Now, 
we instinctually, when we have those sounds, we've learned those. We, we, we know them, right? You come to school, you have speech. You've been speaking for a long time. That's natural. And then somebody explains to you how to take that natural ability and make it connect to these graphemes or letters. And to me, that's like an excellent swim teacher who says, yes, that instinct to move the arms and legs. Let me show you how to do that efficiently. Here's how we do that to get across the pool. Wow. That's really different from just flailing around with my arms and legs. So again, it's leaning into those things that we, we understand from the science of reading. Remember, this is a lot of research that goes in. This isn't just us saying this looks like a good way to teach, right? We're, we're, we're talking about a lot of science and research when we're discussing this topic too. I think that's important too, is that we, we make sure people remember that. Yeah, it's built on the backs of a lot of researchers who've helped us to understand this. And I think that's a, an apt analogy uh, when we're talking about swimming, because the other thing about speech sounds, even though students have been co-articulating those, you know, as early as nine months in some cases, making them aware of the individual speech sounds is really important. And then in our phonemic awareness instruction, we're going to ask them to do tasks like blending and segmenting those phonemes. And again, not for the sake of doing that, but because that, based on research, is the most important tasks that are most directly related to reading and spelling. Lindsay. So I like how you said, you know, you said it's not just for the task of blending and segmenting. Like that's not the point. It's to help reading. And I, I feel the same with sound walls. And I feel like sometimes I see people kind of miss this point where we're not just teaching a sound wall for the sake of a sound wall. We don't need to say, memorize all the 44 sounds. What are all the fricatives? You know, they don't need to have those memorized. We have to remember that it is a tool along the way to get to proficient reading and spelling. And that is the target, proficient readers, proficient spellers. And sound wall is just a tool to help us do that. Yeah, it makes that speech sound system visible in a way that kids can access it, right? I have seen, I've been in classrooms where students are writing and they look at the sound wall to determine which spelling to use for a sound. You can see their mouths moving <laughs> as they're writing them down. It's fun to see. So Lindsay, um, how long have you been using a sound wall in your classroom? Um, I've been using a sound wall for four years in my classroom. So um, my two years in kindergarten and two years in second grade. And what are some of the biggest things that you've noticed? You already mentioned you used a word wall before too. And I'm just going to humbly state, I don't think you did it as well as I did. Um, because <laughs> again, I was the queen of the word wall. <laughs> you were, I've heard your stories. <laughs> it's just so unfortunate that that was the case. But anyway, <laughs> what, um, what do you see as the major difference? Um, and what benefits have you seen? in real life with your students? Yeah. Well, the first kind of difference I think is more in my instruction because once I put it up there, you know, I feel like I was a little more clear and it was a little more, um, I don't know, it's more explicit and could understand a little bit more what I'm doing here. I'm teaching these, so these sounds and then I'm teaching, you know, the graphemes that go with it. And I think you know, the first year I had it up, I learned a lot. And in fact, I just made my own sound wall initially, and I made my own graphing cards and I took pictures of my own kids' mouths and, and put it up there. And then, uh, just this last year, it's just been the last year where I had, um, I was piloting the reading horizon sound wall that I love. And, and then for the first time I had lessons that were written that I could use, which, you know, 
I love because before that, I'm just kind of shooting from the hip and making it up. But now I have these, here's a little lesson. And it's only like, I don't know, two or three minutes long. And it's this great segue into our phonics instruction. And so I just, I feel like my students are more tuned in now to the phonemes and the spellings. And, you know, I've just, there's been, it's been neat to see. Like, I remember I was sitting at my small group table, you know, working with my kids there and I have other kids at their desks and I have one little boy who's over at his desk and he was in the, like a software program. And I could see, I could see his iPad from where I'm, I'm sitting. And I know he's supposed to be putting TH for us. Um, if you can hear me, hopefully on the podcast with the TH sound. And, um, and so I, he was looking over at me, but I'm like in small group, I can't go over there. And I pointed at my mouth and I kind of made with, I put my tongue between my teeth, like the TH sound, like, and he like, like I'm asking, is that what you're looking for? And he just nods. And then I just point at the mouth picture on the sound wall where, you know, that's matches what my mouth is doing and then point below the TH. And then his eyes just light up, you know, and he's like, oh yes. And he nods. And then he, uh, you know, he, he goes over and he, he can put it in. And I thought that was so awesome because I mean, the whole encounter was like 15 seconds but he was like oh yeah okay that's the th and so um you know where is he going to look next time he he knows right where to look and of course soon after he just knew that and didn't have to look anymore but so it's neat to see them kind of make those connections and to use it and i had just yesterday a little boy asked me if he could get you know his the private sound wall out you know, cause he's a little bit farther from our wall and we have little individual cards. And so he set that up, um, right against his water bottle. So it was like his own little sound wall on his desk. It was so cute. And then he was writing and, and using it. And I had to snap a picture cause I thought it was so, so cool. Which is so fun. You know, I've used with a first grader, um, and you mentioned the reading horizon sound wall. Uh, they come with tiny little like playing card size yeah. mouth pictures too which I had never really seen before, but I can lay those out sound by sound with a word and have um, students try to figure out what the word is just by the, the mouth placement. And then they can attach the grapheme. And we did that the other day, well, a few weeks ago now with the word bench. And they were able to figure out what word that was just based on that, which helps me to remember another really important part of research because part of sound wall instruction is really focusing on the production of those phonemes and we get mirrors out right and we have we talk about qualities like voiced sounds and voiceless sounds and placement of your tongue and your mouth and i have heard some teachers say that superfluous right that's just a lot of work and why do we do that a it's a multimodal way to get that instruction into their long-term memory. But most importantly, we know from research, that's how the brain recognizes those phonemes. So when you're attaching that to um, the graphemes, that's a little bit more automatic of a process. And just to illustrate the importance of teaching those sounds and then connecting the graphemes to them. So speech before print is the fact that, um, and you mentioned this too, Lindsay, I was so happy that Reading Horizons, which is a phonics program, a company that has a phonics methodology, um, is offering a sound wall because 
then you connect those two, right? So you already teach those sounds, you help students become aware of them. And then when you're teaching phonic elements like the CH grapheme, you start with the phoneme that you've already taught and you're just making those connections. We're doing what Steven Pinker said, painstakingly bolting on (laughs) those graphemes to the phonemes. Well, and it makes sense to have a phonics company have a sound wall. Like they they should go together, right? It's I think it's great because I see, you know, we see our our poster, like you look at the Val Valley and there's all these different graphemes and, um, you know, throughout the program, you're going to teach all those. So I like that connection. And then my students just love it because, you know, at beginning of the year, I put little post-it notes, sticky notes over all the spellings. And then as I teach them, we take them off and they're so excited. And, you know, if they're still, you know, at the end of the year, we have everything, I think everything off yet. There might be, there might be one, you know, one still on there, but they're just kind of like, what's under that one? What, which one have we learned? And they're, they're so excited. And when I used it previously, where I had uh, just made my own little graphing cards and everything, uh, I didn't put all the spellings on there. Well, I just put, you know, a couple on each and then they would get upset. Like, well, what? we need to add, you know, EY on the A spelling because they see the word they all the time, you know, and hey. And so I remember I wrote it on. Okay, we will write it on. They were so excited about that. So it's fun to see them get involved. Yeah. And they're really getting into language at a deeper level, right? Um, And as you're talking, Lindsay, I'm being reminded of the thing that's come up so many times with younger students. They're so much more excited about these yeah. things. Yeah. And then I'm going to segue to my students who are pre-service teachers. And I will just tell you when I introduce the phonemes and then we, first of all, they have no idea that there are 44 sounds in English. They, I ask them that at the beginning of the, the class and they, you know, I have anywhere from like 26 to like thousands, but it helps them make sense of it. These are pre-service teachers, but that's one of their greatest insights. And that's when I start to see that excitement about language and actually teaching reading. And they become more confident when we talk about how this kind of instruction is delivered and why it's so important and that it's so manageable, right? So Donnell, I want to ask you about how you use this with your the students that you work with. So I was just going to say that adult students haven't had the opportunity to be introduced to a sound wall when they were younger, if they, you know, if a teacher even would have back then. I know it's become thankfully more popular as people have uh, begun to, to gravitate towards the science of reading. But I've noticed that when I have introduced with my students, and mind you, we're on Zoom. So we have gone to Zoom because of COVID. And then because I picked up a lot of students that geographically were not close, we've maintained the Zoom. And that's been interesting. So you have to really establish making sure that everybody's participating, everybody's cameras are on, because this is very much a multimodal, as you say, experience. Can't just turn your camera off and be experiencing this. And then I started off with letters that I knew they were introduced to. And then we've made a switch over to the articulation pictures of the mouth. And I wondered if this would be difficult for adult students, older students. But what's interesting, maybe two weeks into it, 
I noticed that if I was still using some of the letter cards, the students would say, can we see those mouth pictures? That was <laughs> so great. They requested them because they felt like they were getting further with the mouth picture, which was really interesting. It was a lot easier for them to be able to maintain sounds that they had been confused by. And then something else that I think has gone along with uh, working in this whole area with sound walls. Dr. Motes ha has been really, uh, she's not the only one, but she's been one to say that letters do not make sounds, they represent them. And I, I used to just push back on that going, oh, good heavens, come on, can't we just say make? Ah, I'm so used to that. But I get it now, finally, I had to work with it. I was resistant, but I get it now, especially my adult students have helped me see why that little uh, distinction is important because my students have said, hey, wait a minute, if that makes that sound, then why can that one make the same sound? And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. You, I changed that phrasing and said represents. And then they're like, oh, there's more than one representation. Okay. Just that little thing for even an adult learner was kind of interesting. And I hadn't really thought there was much to it. Most reading teachers know all about word walls. And now sound walls are quickly capturing our eyes and ears because they help students make the connection between letters and sounds and how to produce those sounds as they read aloud. Enhanced with technology, sound walls give students more opportunity to practice making speech to print linkages. Have you ever used sound walls? Are you curious about how they can work in your classroom? Share your experiences and questions with us and join us again for Literacy Talks. To keep current with upcoming Reading Horizons events, go to www.readinghorizons.com slash company slash events. So um, considering that as teachers, we are also adult learners and there was a little bit of laughter when you made that comment, Donnell, about letters making sounds because we've had this conversation very energetically before <laughs> among the three of us, but I have maintained all along. Um, I, of course, I'm always, I always think it's safe to align with Dr. Motes. I mean, who wouldn't, but I think what I've seen with my pre-service teaching students is that when I use that terminology, yes, that's important for the students, the young learners, the beginning readers to understand that concept, but it's even more important for the person teaching them to understand that concept. So just by using that terminology instead of what sound does this letter make helps my teachers or the pre-service teachers understand the importance of that concept. So yeah, that's a really important point. And then Donnell, I wonder too, if you would speak and Lindsay, of course you can speak to this too. We know that for students with learning differences like dyslexia, Sometimes the reason that they struggle with reading or print specifically is because of a phonological, what we've termed in the past is a phonological deficit, right? So how do sound walls help support a dyslexic reader? Oh yeah. So I think it's really interesting. There's there's a lot of a lot of different things that you pick up and learn about how important sound is to this whole thing that we do with letters when you help someone who has dyslexia. Um, not every dyslexic individual individual has dyslexia will have as big an issue with sounds 
as others. So remember that dyslexia is on a spectrum, right? So you can have students who struggle a lot with sounds, students who struggle a little with sounds, and some students who do quite well with sounds, actually. I, my husband who has dyslexia has always been terrific with rhyme, which is interesting. And a lot of other folks with dyslexia aren't great with rhyme. And so you also have to be flexible with your understanding and be willing to work with a lot of different students and accept that there's a difference there. And then I think what's really important is especially with older students who have struggled with this, to realize that because, like you said, from the very beginning, that speech is natural for us. We've all been speaking, right? We picked it up. Unless there's an issue with our being able to hear and articulate those sounds, we're going to do it, do the thing. That no one has really laid that down as the foundation for learning the letters for them before. That's just been a side thing. It hasn't really been the focal point that if you can speak, great, we're going to be able to attach this to what you can already do. We have this skill. And then when you're working with the sounds with the phonemic awareness curriculum and the sound wall, what that really is doing is giving the individual with dyslexia an opportunity to lean into a skill set they have and can and can be improved. Because we know that's an area for folks who have dyslexia that we can see definite improvement in. There are other things that are more difficult that can be impacting being able to read and write that may be harder to intervene on, right? I'm, RAN is one where we have long conversations about RAN. But phonemic awareness, there are definite things we can do to help improve that. And so those are just some of the, the key pieces I see for folks who have dyslexia. I think it's really common for them to, you know, well, for a lot of students to confuse vowel sounds. Mm -hmm. And so this year I have a little boy in my class who does have severe dyslexia and mixes up eh and i. And if you look at the vowel valley and you find where eh is and where it is, they're, they're pretty close. There's like one sound between them. And it's a lot of times those sounds that are close on the on the Val Valley chart that are easy to, to confuse. And so for this little boy, you know, we, I showed him those math mouth pictures and we really had to lean in to what our mouth feels like, the difference between eh and it. And of course, when he says those normally, he doesn't articulate, like he doesn't exaggerate, like maybe they're a little exaggerated on the sound wall. So we kind of have to practice that where I'd have to say, oh, look at my mouth, look at my mouth. The word is big. Eh, 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 and kind of like point out what my mouth is doing. And then using those little, like you said, those little individual playing cards with the mouse and, 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 and showing those, you know, working with those was helpful for him too. And then of course, attaching it to the letter and doing practice going back and forth between the two letters. And I love Lindsay, what you've just said, because, because Lindsay is using all of these tools, notice how she's able to, first of all, see who is struggling, right? Because you are doing the very things that are the foundational parts of why the student's going to struggle with reading and spelling. So Lindsay's able to spot that. And then she has tools, right? Because she's able to spot it. She also knows what she's seeing. She has tools. And I think it's interesting, Lindsay, to be specific about the student has a more severe case of dyslexia. You're going to, Lindsay sees patterns, which I see too. Too, the same patterns, the E, the short E and the short I sound, that's a very difficult sound for students who have a more severe case of dyslexia. And so then Lindsay does that very thing you're going to do with the tools you have, go into the articulation features. And you're really going to emphasize that with the student, not only producing themselves, but also watching production. And that's the ticket right there. And I use the same things. Lindsay just used the same things I'm going to use with an older student. See, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, which is aligned with the fact that a proficient reader, their brain is 
functioning in the same way at every proficient reader. So when we put instruction in a way that facilitates that brain development, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, when we think of eat, well, specifically et and I, and I know I've worked with students before who, even with the articulatory features, it's subtle. There's a subtle yes. difference. Like you mentioned, Lindsay, there's a reason they're placed on Val Valley next to each other, but there is also research supporting um, using a keyword. And so that is also something you would see on a high quality sound wall, right? We have keywords to draw a student's attention to that or articulatory gestures or um, kinesthetic cues for those as well. Right. Like because so, the short eye is like itch. There's a little picture of a dog itching on the Reading Horizons one. And so then you can have them itch, you know, do a little itch on their arm to help them remember. And same with, I think that, oh, the edge is looking over the edge, you know, for E, for E. And so you can kind of do a movement, you know, for that to help them. Yeah, which is very helpful. And then I don't want to end this episode without talking about the value of this kind of an instructional tool for English language learners. And I have seen this firsthand when I taught um, the English language development classes with our ELL students at my school by focusing on those phonemes, ones that are produced similarly in their first language and comparing them. It makes teaching English so much more efficient and make more sense to them. And of course, we're never going to not attend to meaning as we're focusing on putting these sounds together and and creating words, but it actually gives them access to that meaning even faster too, because they don't have to go through all of those, I, what I term mental gymnastics to get to the right pronunciation and make sure that's accurate. And then to think about the meaning, they can access those phonemes really proficiently and then focus on the meaning of the words that they're, they're reading. Yeah. I had a little student who was just two weeks ago and he, you know, Spanish is his first language and he was just really excited to come tell me, you know, Mrs. Kemeny in Spanish, the letter I says this sound, you know, or, or you know, I can't even remember what it was, but I was just like, that is so neat. And we kind of had this conversation and how, how neat it was the Spanish language and the English language and just how interesting that was the comparison. It was just so fun. And you're setting that student up for success in both languages. That's what I love. I know my students specifically that spoke Spanish as their first language, uh, the B and V phonemes were something we always focused on because that sound of B is not as, no, it's a V that's not as common in Spanish. And so just helping them understand the differences, like I loved to hear how they talked about that afterwards. And then we'd already talked about this, but Donnell, you made the point. We can see students who are struggling. Oftentimes that manifests itself in their spelling and their reading, but sound walls give us a really great way to address that instruction. We do have a morphophonemic language and sound walls cover easily that phonemic part, right? So phonetic part that we can make those connections between phonemes and the graphemes that represent those. Well, I was just thinking when you were saying that about, you know, how the sound wall can be really helpful for English learners. I'm excited for next year because I'll be able to, so I also piloted the the software side of the Reading Horizons sound wall, although I didn't get until the end of the year. So I'm really excited for the beginning of the year, but I was just thinking, you know, because it goes through, Mm -hmm. it kind of confirms or like, I don't know, reviews what you just taught in class. And then they get to go onto the 
app and it's going to do a quick little review of each phoneme and how great that would be for an English learner, you know, to learn all those sounds in uh, sounds of our language first. You know, we just had, you know, the teacher next door to me just got a little uh, refugee, uh, Ukrainian refugee in her class and she doesn't speak any English. And I was just thinking, oh, I wish I got her in my class because I could totally just let her have some experience in that software for the sound wall. And it would teach her all those sounds that we've already learned, you know, and then it would just help her as she's learning the language. So, yeah. And the use of technology is another episode, right? But just quickly to say one way that we use technology in our classroom is to give students more practice and application and that sound wall is amazing for that. You only have one teacher in a classroom, <laughs> but that software can help magnify and expand the reach of a teacher because the students get more quick instruction and application and practice. So my students love it. And then they get to, you know, they listen to the little lesson and then they get to take a picture of their mouth, you know, on the iPad. And then it, it will automatically populate onto their own little sound wall with their own mouth pictures, which they just get so excited about. They love that. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> no, kid, little kids are not egocentric. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it's their very first selfie, right? They're just focused on their mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, so many great tools that we can use to teach reading. And so just in conclusion, what advice would you give to people who are new to the concept of a sound wall? Donnell? So I would say when we started with that reference, Speech to Print, if you haven't purchased the book Speech to Print, I think that's a great start if you're looking for a resource, and then you can just start working your way through it, right? So don't think you have to take it all on at once. I'd go to the back and look up sound walls and start there if you're looking for sound walls, and then you can fill in with the information. I know letters training, a lot of teachers are taking letters training that will touch on sound walls as well, but I think having additional information is important. And then like Lindsay and both of you have mentioned, it's really nice to have, if available, when you have a phonics program or something like Reading Horizons that's used, and I use that with adult students, and they provide, and I'm hoping more do, a sound wall that then has all the pieces for you. Because like Lindsay said, it's so much easier to have that just provided where I do my quick lesson. And I've had to take some pieces and adapt for older students, but I'm thrilled to have pieces to adapt, right? It's so much better to have something to adapt for my older students rather than nothing that you have to start from scratch. Those would be my thoughts. I would say, you know, like I said, kind of at the beginning, keep in mind the overall goal of a sound wall. It's not a sound wall for sound wall's sake. It's to help build these proficient readers and spellers. And so keep that in mind. That's like, you know, that's the target. And you you don't need to, you know, don't get carried away and do a 20 minute lesson on just the sound wall, right? Or just the phoneme. We want to connect that phoneme to the grapheme and the sound walsh, you know, is a, is a tool to help us do that. Fantastic. And it's a fun way. I think it, it engages students and it's fun for them for that kind of instruction. So I guess we can say it provides a sound foundation for Ooh, reading and spelling. I see what I know, you did I'm there. so punny. <laughs> yeah. So on that hilarious note, we'll end this episode (laughs) by thanking you for joining us and wishing you all the luck in whatever setting you're in that you're teaching reading. It really is the best gift that we can give anyone. So thank you for joining us and we will see you next time on Literacy Talks. 
Thanks for joining us today for Literacy Talks, the podcast series for literacy leaders and champions everywhere. Literacy Talks comes to you from Reading Horizons, where reading momentum begins. Join us next time 